episode 42. My goodness. This week has been one of the craziest weeks of my life. Monday, Tuesday, I'm on a movie set. Meet Rami Malik. I'm Jet Dunlap. This is Psychotherapy. And I already said it was episode 42, so if you don't remember, I'm not going to say it again. After that, I get food poisoning the next day. I don't know why. I have a fever all night. I'm in terrible pain. I can't sleep on my side. I keep moving around. I pass it on the floor of my bathroom. And I don't drink. I don't smoke. I can't dance. That old uh, Peter Gabriel Genesis song. The only thing about me is the way that I walk. Why am I singing that? No one knows. Because, you know, that thing I said earlier. Anyway, so I have food poisoning and I turned it into a song. The next day, do I get to rest on my laurels like I want to? No, I don't. A pipe bursts in the basement, flooding my studio. Thank goodness Gina went down there to put her clothes away from a day that she was doing on set, or we wouldn't have known, and my stuff could have been ruined. But I am coming to you today from my house because the studio is still being repaired. So I had to jackhammer that day through two feet of concrete, cutting into concrete. It was very difficult. Still not done. What happens that night? Do I get to rest then, even though I've had two nights of sleepless nights and one night of food poisoning where I also didn't sleep? No. I get a message on my phone that says, you are going to be in an evacuation area. It will be two hours before the Saddle Ridge fire hits Topanga Canyon. So I don't sleep. I go outside and I water down everything around my property. But that information will be in the next episode. This one is about my day on set with Rami Malek. What happens after that? Well, I end up having to move our RV home, which is a 36-foot, 22,000-pound RV. That story will be in the next one. This one is about being on the set of the movie and the chain of events that occurred ever since I went up on stage and did my first day of stand-up. I don't want to give you much more of an intro because it's a pretty good episode. If I may say so myself, and let me tell you, I have the best episodes. My episodes are beautiful and perfect. Just like my phone calls, I ace every phone call I ever have. And that is an impression of Teddy Roosevelt, of course. So without further ado, I give you, without further ado, I give you episode 42, The Phantom Menace, Jet Dunlap and his day on set with Rami Malek. That episode uh, starts right now. Monday morning, at around 4.15 a.m., I wake up. I haven't slept at all. That's probably a lie. Or, that's a lie, if you watch Lie to Me. I didn't sleep very well at all. I do this thing with my mind where I say, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, and I don't. And then I drift off for a second only to wake up twice as energized, mindful of a million things, but most of all, the fact that I have to wake up in the morning. I look at my clock, it says 1 a.m. Close my eyes, 1.30. Close my eyes, 2, 3. Wake up at 3, I go, will I be able to go to sleep again? I try my best, up at 4.15, ready to go. I have to be in Valencia. Now, it's not that far, but I always anticipate some kind of crazy traffic accident. A life of living in Los Angeles has given me this paranoia, and this paranoia roots in reality. This has happened to me many times, and when you go to set and you are late, there is no forgiveness regardless of your reasons. And this usually goes all the way up to the director or the main actor. Now, they may be a little more lenient, but still, the show must go on, 
and every minute you are late, you are costing production money. Now, in my case, being the lowest man on the totem in front of the camera, I'm the least expensive thing, but the person whose charge is to make sure that I am there on time, I am the most important. In this case, it is the second second. That is the second second assistant director. I get to set. It is very dark. I'm driving my FJ because Gina needs the Prius just in case. I get down there, I park, I get into Transpo, I grab my clothes. Transpo is short for transportation. I have my things in hand. I have a little pocket shock. That's not an energy drink. That's where I look at my pocket, feel my pocket, and go, Oh my lord, where's my phone? I was suffering from too many pockets in a bag. I had my phone, but I was worried. I jump out of transportation. I look, where's my phone? Where's my phone? It's in my pocket. Get back in the van. And I would have felt foolish, but that would have been for a younger man. Now, I just make it look like I did it on purpose, or I say something hilarious. It was very early. We drive down to set. It's very disorienting. Every business center in Valencia looks about the same. We get there. Giant trailers. This is a movie. I have found out the day before who the cast is going to be. My wife had looked it up when she found out I was booked. And the cast is Rami Malek, Denzel Washington, and Jared Leto. All Oscar winners. Jared Leto by accident because he got a role that demanded an Oscar-worthy performance. So I give him no points, and may God have mercy on his soul. That's a flashback to a Billy Madison quote. But, in the case of Rami Malek and Denzel Washington, two fantastic actors completely worthy of their award. No points to Jared Leto, again. Little pretty boy. I still agree what they did to him in Fight Club, where they punched him in the face and has said he's too blonde. Rami Malek, as I had made mention in the last episode, but if you didn't hear it, has been to my parents' house. I have hung out with him. He had gone to my grandparents' house for family traditions. He was very close to my brother in high school. Of course, Rami Malek being the guy who won Best Actor for Bohemian Rhapsody and his portrayal of Freddie Mercury. He's also in that wonderful TV show called Mr. Robot. A week prior to this, we had gone back down to the casting agency. We had walked in the door, my tail tucked between my legs. I was pretty shamed to walk into the lowest of the lowest casting offices, central casting, a place that mostly books background. Sure, I have gotten real roles out of it, and I have gotten stunt pay, and I have gotten a lot of opportunities and met a lot of good people, even people who were in my wedding party, such as Alex McGrellis, who was a groomsman. Of course, I made him stand at the far end of the line of my groomsman because he is ridiculously tall, and I will not have that shit near me. If you are taller than 6'1", you are a freak and belong in a circus. Any event, so Central Casting has supplied me with freaky giants who are very good friends of mine. So there have been good things. But for the most part, it is humiliating for me at this point, and I use that word in exaggeration. It is just more frustrating. I am a big deal. I am a psychotherapist. I almost tell that to people when I'm talking to them, and then I remember that I am not a psychotherapist, and I can't even say remember. I say remember. I am not. I am a guy who separated the two words and turned it into a show. Sure. Am I a better psychiatrist? What? Psychiatrist? You're a psycho who works on carriages? No, I'm not that. Are you a psychiatrist yet? No, not technically. And no, not in any sense of the word whatsoever. But are you a better psychiatrist than most psychiatrists out there? Absolutely. What are you basing that on? My huge a-brain. So, I walk in there knowing I have a thriving psychotherapy practice. I go in shamefully as you are treated like a student. Sit down! 
make sure you don't steal this, don't piss on the table. Just the craziest people in the world. And, you know, with all due respect, I say without any respect. I get in there, I sign up. I change into two outfits, give them my little smile. Feature my top knot, by the way, because I don't want to get any cop roles. I have a mustache, so there's a temptation in Hollywood to hire me as a cop. But I don't want to be a cop because I am not a cop. I'm a rebel. So I go in there. Gina goes in there with me. Gina puts on four outfits. She's far too beautiful to be in that room. If I'm not supposed to be there, she certainly is not supposed to be there. But we are there. Wait, we were back in central casting and I lost my way. Yes. So there's a board right before you go into the photography room. And on one side is a picture of the actor when they were not famous, when they had their tail tucked. Or they might have been bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, also a tail analogy, like I was in 2011 when I first walked in. Well, one of the pictures is Rami Malek, the guy I knew, my brother's friend. My brother's friend, a book I will be writing, a mystery. Okay. On the other side is his glamorous photograph of when he became a professional famous actor. And I said to Gina a long time ago that I work with Rami again. And his name's not Rami, it's Rami, but we called him Rami back in the day. Now they call him Rami, so I have to call him what he's called now. One week later, I'm on set, standing in line, in the dark, coat hangers jabbing into my hands, waiting to be told what to do by a 22-year-old PA with a lot of attitude, which is okay because I find it amusing. Maybe it's not, but that's how I view it. I see Rami walk out of his trailer, a giant fifth wheel. I walked out of a trailer that morning. Although it's an RV and I live in it, very similar, the two of us. He walks out and I go, ah, there he is. Well, I get a chance to talk to this old friend. And before I even showed up, I knew I could tell Gina, yes, I will. I check in. We go into this hangar type deal in Valencia, giant. I sit down at a chair. That's not the right place. I get moved by a grip. I'm very polite for some reason. I don't know why. I guess I've changed. Forgiveness over the last couple of years has made me a kinder soul. I sit down at a table and I fight sleep. I mean, I fight it. I can't have coffee because the restrooms are about two blocks away. This is just the way it is. And you're going to get yelled at. So I have a little tea. I'm fighting sleep. They come in and make an announcement. They say, listen, all of you who have shame in your eyes and regret in your heart, we call the background actor group. You may not have your cell phone out at all times, unless it is in this room. This room has zero signal because it's deep inside of a cavern, inside of a cave, inside of the ground. You may not have your cell phone out whatsoever. If you do, you will be sent home in shame, and you will lose tens of dollars an hour that you are earning right now. Don't have your cell phone out, or you are in deep trouble. I don't want to have to tell you again. Guess what? They told us again. That must have been hard for them, because they didn't want to. But they did it. So we have no signal inside, and... We can have no cell phones outside. Not even on our way to the bathroom. So people were literally making phone calls from the Porajan. Not cool. They said the reason for this is the number one on the call sheet. This was Mr. Denzel Washington. Cannot see any cell phones on set whatsoever or it throws him into a mad rage and he will slit your throat metaphorically. You will be sent home. So no cell phones to amuse us. I was too tired to really mess around anyway, but I'm really trying to stay awake. I start trying to read a book. That has never helped me stay awake. Later on, they kick someone off set, allegedly, for using a cell phone in front of Denzel because it blows his mind. It's a period piece that I mentioned that. That's why he doesn't like cell phones. He's not just a school marm. He wasn't playing one either. It's the 1990s. Here's a little irony for you. Denzel Washington has the biggest fifth wheel trailer I've ever seen. What's a fifth wheel? It's where that little hitch goes in the bed of the truck. If you're from the valley, you know what this is. If you're not, I just told you. 
It's very large, but it is not an RV because it does not have a motor. It is towed by a very large F-150. F-150. What am I, crazy? Trying to give you misinformation? It's an F-250, F-350, or a Chevy 2500 or larger, or a Dodge. So, he has this giant trailer with a giant DirecTV antenna on top. He has a Escalade, brand new, that runs the entire time. What do I mean by that? The vehicle is running, so the air conditioning stays on at all times. Am I telling trade secrets? Should I keep this a secret? Maybe, but I didn't sign an NDA about what kind of vehicle situation Denzel Washington has. So, he kicks someone off for having a cell phone. So not only is it boring and loud, you have no cell phone, and you're tired. Not a great experience so far. They don't bring me to set for hours. Plus, you know, I'm a vegetarian, like a jerk, so there's not a lot of options for me to eat. And there's no one for me to talk to. Or is there? There is, eventually. That gentleman's name is Scott, and I'll get to that in a minute. Oh, did I tell you the problem? My God, I forgot to tell you the problem. I get there, they change me three times. I'm the last guy out of wardrobe and makeup. Because they say, wear this suit, you're a print photographer. Then they see my top knot and they go, for shame, no one had hair like that in the 90s. If you are in the background right now, you will reap havoc on this set because no one had their hair up like that in the 90s. I will swear on a stack of Bibles. So they were very furious and they said, you can't have hair like that. And I said, well, I have hair like that. And they said, well, you cut it for us. And I said, my hair I've grown for a year and a half that I really don't care about. Of course I won't cut it for you. Just like I wouldn't cut my beard last year when they offered me $800 to do so. They start trying to offer me money, and I go, I'm not going to cut my hair for any amount of money for one day of background acting. So they turned me into a new character, a guy with a ball cap, and basically it was like wearing dickies, and I looked like a mechanic. But they gave me a camera, a giant camera, and they said, I was an undercover or some malarkey (laughs) photographer, which is what I ended up being. So we take you back to set. Oh, they made me shave too, but not my mustache. They made me shave with like a close razor, which I haven't done in like nine years. But I was fine with it. We go to set, they give me a big camera, and they make me stand behind, and we're in this very small scene in a room no larger than 15 by 20, something like that. It's glass. The glass portion of it leads into the bullpen area of this police department. We're in the press room. I'm the photographer. I'm the most mobile person in the scene, and I'm looking directly at Rami Malek. Rami Malek goes through the speech. He nods at Denzel Washington, who's at the back of the room. This I probably definitely can't talk about. Anyway, you'll see. I don't know. What are they going to do to me? So Rami Malek's talking. Denzel Washington comes in. Denzel Washington leaves, blah, blah, blah. This is 48 hours on the same scene. I end up working again the next day. I'm a still photographer. This guy I end up meeting. His name is Scott. He ends up being a videographer. He and I end up talking during the uh, break times in between, and he makes it sane because the rest of the people are mostly insane. I hate to say it, and I hate to paint with broad strokes, but the majority of background actors and I've been in this business since 2011, are completely crazy. It's one of the few jobs in Los Angeles that you can get in film and television that requires no background check. So, well, that's actually a lie. Basically, anything in the entertainment industry requires no background check. But in this case, you don't have to be sober. So that's, I guess, a benefit. Anyway, so Scott's the only guy I can really talk to. We have some laughs and have a good time. And if it wasn't for him, I probably would have gone absolutely mad and left the set earlier. Anyway, we go from 6.15 in the morning. 6.12. Sorry, I lied to you again. SLI. I went from 6.15 till 9. That's a long day. During this period, when I'm not just shooting the shit and joking around and 
trying to make as good a situation as you possibly can, this is one of the jobs you have when you're on set, because man, is there ever downtime. It's hurry up and wait. Get out there as quickly as you can, then sit around for six hours on the edge of your seat. That's the whole job. I think I talked about that in the last episode. I know I'm going to meet Rami. I know it. But I don't know how. And I've just learned to trust myself in these kind of situations because my better good prevails. And if there's a reason for me to meet him, I will jump on that opportunity. But I'm not going to ruin his process. Now, that used to be masquerading as fear. So I used to make up excuses like, well, I don't want to do that because that'll bother him. You know, just like when you're younger and you're like, I don't want to talk to that girl, I might bother her. But then that opportunity goes away and you never get to talk to that wonderful girl and you end up marrying the person you hate. So look at you, you big dummy. Anyway, I know that this opportunity will come up. At the very end of the day, Scott and I are walking off set to drop off our props. They move the line a couple of times. And finally, when we are moving the line the second time to go over to the props department, I am presented with an opportunity to go over to Rami. And I go over to him and I say, Hi, Rami. Hey, hey, Mr. Blue. I really like movies. I'm Freddie Mercury, the best actor. So I flummoxed a little bit. It wasn't that dramatic, but in my head it was like that. I think I said, Hey, Rami, Rami. My name is Jet. We used to know each other. My brother is Steven. Forget that. I didn't say my name was Jet. And if I did, he forgot because he asked me his name again. He didn't ask me his name. <laughs> that would have been fantastic. This guy doesn't even know his name. He's a best actor. Wow. I don't know if that's good or bad. Very method. Anyway, so I shake his hand. We talk. He remembers my brother, Steven. He remembers our mutual friend, Patrick, who he worked with a while ago. He based a character that he did in a movie on Patrick. And uh, so Patrick says, and Patrick is, Patrick cannot tell a lie. Um, so we start talking and he's really hitting it off with me and very smiley. And another thing that you should know about Rami Malek, Academy Award winner, if you take nothing else away from this episode, is that he has the softest hands of a man I have ever felt. They felt like wet silk. They were so smooth and soft that I was afraid that my strong man hands that had been using axes and picks and jackhammers and climb mountains would cut through his wonderfully soft palms. They didn't. That would have been way too dramatic. Who's the actor now, Rami? With my portrayal of old hard hands. Anyway, we started talking and I told him that he inspired me. And I think that he does. Even though I'd have to steal myself for a moment from sarcasm, sarcasm as I call it, to admit that he does, but he does because he's a valley boy who made it to the other side. What do I mean by that? You see a lot of famous people who weren't so famous and then they become famous. I remember Colin Farrell when he was in this movie called uh, Tigerland, which was a movie about the training facility before Vietnam. It was an indie movie. I saw it with my buddy Steve before anyone knew who Colin Farrell was. And I said, this guy has the potential to be the next Brad Pitt. And then when you see him, when you see his star rise, you kind of feel like you have a little bit of a pardon that just because you saw him before he was famous. That's not the case with Rami. Rami, I actually knew this guy. And I've known plenty of actors who have had moderate success, but none of them go to the other side like this guy. And he's not royalty, right? Which is very important because if you know someone who's got a brand last name or their parents were already stars and they make it big whoop, no one cares. That's not an accomplishment. They've accomplished nothing. I want to make that very clear. People who are juiced into the industry, no matter what they do, have accomplished zero. You were just spoon-fed. The people who made it themselves, now that's something. You know how I feel about that. So he is proof, emotionally, to me, once I meet him again, that it is possible. 
Now, do I expect to be a Academy Award winning actor? I don't. Would that be nice? <laughs> yeah, if I stumble into it, fine. You know, no big deal. Matthew McConaughey won one, so uh, all right, all right, all right. It's possible. They were telling me I look like Matthew McConaughey on set, by the way, and I kept saying, please tell me it's like how to lose a guy in 10 days, how to lose a guy in 10 days, or failure to launch. Not Dallas Buyers Club, not Dallas Buyers Club, and I'm pretty sure they meant Dallas Buyers Club. But pre-AIDS, pre-AIDS, Dallas Buyers Club, okay? He won an Oscar. I can lose weight like him. I could pretend to have AIDS. I mean, Rami Malek did it, so obviously that's something that uh, wins you some Oscars. So I'm talking to Rami, and finally the conversation. There's a lot more that I'll go into later and probably make up to make this seem even more important. But one of the things he said after I talked to him about how he inspires us is he gave me like a hug type thing. He, you know, gave me a pat on the back. We weren't like really holding each other in embrace. But there was some kind of sentimentality that got passed between us because I think he understood it. It's recent enough for him too. And he said, Jet, with you, it's just going to be one thing. Because he knew I put in the time. He said, there's no difference between you and me. And there are some differences. I'm like five feet taller. And, you know, what? Five feet taller, Jet? You're five inches taller. Good God. What kind of giant do you think you are? You'd be a freak like Alex McGrellis. Um, He's not that much taller than me. He's like maybe an inch. But he has liar's feet. Anyway, so I was kind of flattered when he said that. He said, you're just one thing away and then it all falls. He said, trust me, I'm like you. And there was this kind of moment of just, I think, mutual energy, understanding each other. And I wouldn't project that. But Rami did something for me that I made very brief mention of in the last episode. And it was that I realized at the moment that he told me it was going to happen for me. And I've heard this before. I heard this from the one who wrote Lion King, Milo Notice, all these people back when I worked on Friends. And she might have been right just early. But when Rami said it to me, I knew I wasn't doing something for myself. And this is the first time I've ever spoken about this concept. I believed I was doing something for my subconscious. And I know that sounds a little weird, but that's exactly what it felt like at the moment. And the reason I say that is that I know that meeting him and having that connection, that human connection, and then him saying those words breaks down a gate. Just like getting up on stage and doing that stand-up comedy did. And you've heard about all the things that have happened since then, including but not limited to what happened with Rami. It breaks down a gate because if this guy I know, talked to, and remembers me, can do it, why can't I? Now, when I say that, I don't have a lot of resolve, like, oh, I'll be the next this. But I know that something has fallen. Another brick has been taken out of the wall of the fears I have in my subconscious. Or not even fears, but obstacles. So, I left that night feeling that way, pretty charged up. The next day I went there again, but this time it was light. Just slightly light. It was still very early. And here's some funniness. The first photography I did for a property, and the only reason I did it was for money, why else would someone take pictures of houses? They're not that interesting. Was at this condo complex out in Valencia, same place I was. And I saw this like parking lot area that I thought was especially beautiful. It was like a cloudy day and the sun was peering through it. So I took a bunch of pictures of this parking lot area and I thought, this is a really pretty area. As a matter of fact, I took Gina out and I'm like, look at where this condo looks over. It's just a parking lot, but for some reason it resonated with me. There was an energy. So I took a lot of pictures of this parking lot. Well, that parking lot is where I was to shoot this show with Rami Malek. Spooky, isn't it? Maybe it's not to you, but uh, it felt like my mind was reading the energy of the place that I was going to go eventually. Now, did I need to be there? I don't know. Was I drawn there for some reason? I don't know. 
Do events have energy that draw you to those places? Maybe. I'm not sure, but that happened, and that was the thing that was real. And it had an impact on me. When I realized that, that I'd been there before, seen that place before, and then I was there to work with these Academy Award-winning actors. How was the rest of the week? Jet, after that. Well, it got a little interesting. The next day I woke up and a pipe burst in my studio, and that's why I'm recording this in my house, and that's why you're about to hear a train go by, because I'm in my house and I don't have sound shielding. If you don't hear the train, that means your ears are broken. Go get them fixed. So a pipe burst, and I had to dig into the ground and use my jackhammer past two feet of concrete. I had to cut through concrete, stuff that I hadn't done before, but I know and trust in my ability. And after that, our house almost caught fire. I hope you learned something, by the way. To me, that Rami Malek thing is pretty amazing. To you, I hope it has the same impact. Just listen to this little tale that's been going through with my life, and if you haven't, go back like five or six episodes. Definitely episodes after 30, or 30 and further. Stuff started mounting. It coming to the point where I end up meeting this guy I went to school with under the weirdest circumstances where I couldn't have met him any other way. I couldn't have called out my brother and said, like, set up an appointment. Steven doesn't see him anymore. This is a very busy guy. He's a Bond villain right now. He's the James Bond villain. But it happened. What does that mean? You fill in the blanks. And what does it mean for you? Because when I told you I had to conquer that fear of stand-up comedy and I did it and all this has happened, you've seen it in real time. That should have an impact on you. Because it does on me. But for me, it's almost detached because it seems surreal. But for you, it may not. I am Jet Dunlap. This is Psychotherapy. Next one, fire, jackhammer, food poisoning, and insanity. In episode 43, maybe.